Welcome to the Legislate podcast, a place to learn about the latest insights and trends in property, technology, business building, and contract drafting. Today, I'm excited to welcome Chris, founder and CEO of Zelt. Zelt is a new generation employee management software centered around employees and their needs, not business admins in HR, IT, or payroll. Chris, thank you for taking the time. Would you like to please share a bit of background about yourself and Zelt? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you very much, Charles, for having me. I came to the UK uh, 10 years ago to finish my studies, not really knowing what I was going to do uh, with my life and career. I ended up in tech, more or less randomly, I think. I worked at a investment bank called Merrill Lynch for a couple of years, and that's where I kind of fell into tech and have been there ever since. After that, I became a software investor in private equity and venture capital. So a lot of horizontal and vertical software investing that I've done there, private equity, rather mid-cap, stable, profitable companies, and then in venture capital, very early stage, very fast growing companies that hopefully one day would become very big. And some of those actually did become very big. I was lucky enough to have exposure to some very inspiring and successful people throughout that work. And I think ultimately that's really what what inspired me to become a founder. And of course, as a software investor, you see a lot of things that are happening in the market and a lot of things that you understand or don't agree with or things that could be improved. So I uh, eventually found a problem that I was very passionate about and it felt like there's something that's that should be improved. And essentially, what I saw was that there's a really huge market out there of anything, let's call it business admin software, and that could be in HR, payroll, IT, other sort of internal departments and companies that really are all about providing a certain service or benefit to employees, but have never been designed actually to work well for employees or to give them value, but instead really cater for the stakeholder and the maybe one a decision maker in a department or team. And we think that's fundamentally wrong. We think that not only um, is it important for employers to you know, provide software to the employees that is user-friendly and gives them value, but actually it will, will do them a great favor because as you realize, and that's initially actually, I approached this problem really technocratically or scientifically. I'm a physicist by background, so I just saw all these sort of friction points. And by unifying and providing this sort of unified employee empowerment platform, I think that's maybe how we're going to call it, actually you more or less magically melt away a lot of these friction points that exist just like everywhere across these departments. How, how a lot of tools should be speaking to each other, but they don't. It's because they were set up wrongly in the first place. And that's what we're what we're solving on a technical point. But really what we're doing is we're creating the first ever employee-centric business management system that is really there to help and uh, create value to employees and empower them so that they are in control of, of things that, you know, that really is their, towards, is their service and their benefit as being an employee. That's, that's a very interesting problem. And I guess if you are designing a platform for employee first, how do you win over the stakeholders? Yeah, I think that's also part of what's been happening over the last few years. And I think it used to be this two-level relationship where everything was evolving around the employer and the employer was the center of the universe and employees just were seen as a given. And certainly maybe in kind of the 4D system, that is the case where people are just standing on these conveyor belts and sort of just like putting screws in uh, the big machine. And that's been really changing, especially with the digital workers and maybe the remote era where, you know, maybe... You can now tap into talent pools around the world uh, and talent moving more freely, but also talent becoming a lot more scarce. I think the relationship between employees and employers, 
and I think even employees is not even the right term anymore because remote contractors that you consider full-time team members, they're not really employees anymore. So a lot of these kind of paradigms have formed over the last decades or hundreds of years even are changing. And um, that also means that this concept of employee experience, and if you check in Google, the, the trend of employee experience, similar to hybrid work, for example, you know, have been really growing. And that's because employers are realizing, hey, they actually have to now start caring about the employees, not just pretend that they are, but they actually do, because otherwise, you know what, they're going to leave. And, and we're not really doing that our message is not you should be altruistic, like you should give away this and it's bad for you, but it's good for your employees. No, it's actually better for you because a lot of the annoying admin work that you do as an admin, because the tooling that you own doesn't speak to the three other tools that other people own in the company, but that need data from it and where your processes run across these different tools, it also will sell you a lot of work. And in the end, you're also an employee yourself, right? So personally, uh, you're going to benefit from it. I agree. It's not going to be easy because there are certain paradigms have been set and it's hard to change people's behavior and the way they think about things. But I think the trend is on our side. So we just need to follow that trend and be patient enough. Well, good luck. And since building Zelt and founding the company, what would you say has been your favorite moment? Like it's, everything's just racing by. It's really hard to say. I think even we, we got our, we closed our funding round last week and we got wire transfers onto our account bigger than whatever we've raised before. So it's like crazy, but you're already thinking about the next one right now. Now the pressure's on to now deploy that, get hires in that help you build something. And now you're in this problem of finding great people and convincing them to join. And we need to our go to market. We have a total horrible website. So it's sometimes really hard to stop and enjoy the things or the, celebrate the milestones you should be celebrating just because there's just so many more to come i don't know but in the beginning i think like just spinning up the app the first pages where you can log in and you're there and you can type stuff in and you click a button and it works that was pretty cool and then i think the first kind of full-time team members joining and that was awesome and then polina joining us as product lead before i it was basically just me and, and engineers and I had to spend 120% of my day with a like telling, basically breaking down the work for engineers, but then also testing it and making sure it works and figuring out what to build next. And with Polina coming in, she taken a large chunk of that and that freed me up to actually do more kind of other high level stuff. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's really just, yeah, it's hard to well, say. Well, I, I don't know. A, I think that's a great answer though. Um, lots of different nuggets there in terms of what it means to be a founder. I can definitely relate. And what do you wish you'd known before starting? I think how difficult it is to convince people to join a company uh, that doesn't have a name or especially if you don't have customers yet. And that's, I think that's for why we actually built our first website, not because we had people that wanted to learn about us, but we need to have some sort of something to show for people to actually trust that we're a real company and for people to join us. So I think that is one thing, like uh, convincing people or the right people to join is really hard. And I think there are also some maybe technical things that if it was a bit more technical, we could have done some things, I think better in the early stages that we wouldn't have had to spend months cleaning up afterwards. And I think that's maybe also in the function of, I'm, I'm a solo founder, I'm a non-tech founder. So there was just some downsides to that. And I think that is one of them. And yeah, I think those are maybe some examples. Yeah, but I think hiring does become easier as you become more established. And so I guess there's, there's some hope there, but yeah. And what's the vision for Zelts for the next, you know, three, five, 10 years? Mm, you know, I think given the fact that we are set up in, in the market that we're playing, you know, this is a very long-term game and a very long-term growth trajectory. We're not like hop in or something like that, that can just 
explode overnight. We're not that kind of company, but on the other hand, I think we're the type of we're in that kind of market and also have that kind of vision that can let us grow for decades and really become the next SAP maybe. And SAP is now a dinosaur, so you wouldn't use them as example for great software. Back then when they started, they were revolutionary and have become to, I think, you know, a really big company. And I think that's, we see this as a very long-term thing. And also I think ultimately it's to create a platform in uh, sort of in the employee universe. Uh, it's really one that only since a few years, I made that point earlier, has become uh, important enough for people to see this as a real sort of universe. Before it was just all about customers, right? Kind of employees are cost center and customers are revenue. So a lot of great technology has been built in sort of the customer experience side of thing over the last, last 10, 20 years. And Salesforce has become arguably the most valuable platform in B2B just because they've became that center of that universe and it's just so, just so valuable. And I think we really have an opportunity here for us to build something and become the center of the universe for everything around the employee and and build an ecosystem around that. So that hasn't really happened yet. Of course, there are strong players in these sort of employee-rated verticals, and but they never really had that wider vision. They were always just like this productivity tool for HR people or for payroll people. They never had that bigger vision of actually putting the employee in the middle and building a universe around it. So that's our, the different difference in our approach as well. That's great. As a CEO, especially operating in the employment space, what are the, the key contracts that you interact with? The- it's, Probably the employment agreement and the option agreement that are, I guess, the most important ones. Since recently, I have a work contract myself because we just closed a funding round. So before that, I, I had a salary, but I actually never bothered to writing myself a work contract. I'd get in, I guess I didn't see the purpose, but now I have my own as well. And that was pretty important because it determines other important things like governance of the company. Because I de facto have board control, so whoever has control over my employment has control over the board, has control over the company. So there's a lot of kind of downstream effects on on this kind of stuff. But then, other uh, besides that, it's I, I think employment contracts and uh, and option agreements. And in option agreements, we have two: we have an EMI and we have an unauthor unapproved option scheme for international team members. And with those contracts, are there any areas of friction or key questions that often come up that that you've encountered? whilst creating them. I think the, the thing is there, you don't know what you don't know until you do. <laughs> and then usually it's too late. I think I was lucky because I was a VC investor. I know a lot of founders that raised, that really raised bigger rounds and I spent a lot of money on lawyers to get those contracts. So I was lucky enough to get those templates more or less for free. When I was in the early days, I definitely would not have paid a lawyer to like zero. And until actually uh, last week, I have paid zero on any lawyer on anything. And probably our customer contracts are probably in compliant and like our privacy policy is probably also not working. But frankly, I don't care. But the thing you need to care is employee contracts and option agreements. I think employee contracts important to, you need to cover some basis. There are some risks there. The UK is friendlier, but maybe if you're in other countries, particularly there maybe and then on the options side you also want to make sure that you you know cover the backs of your employees because you want to make sure that they're drafted well enough so that when those employee options become valuable that they can actually get the value from it and don't have to pay any uh, unexpected taxes or can't exercise them or something like that things like probationary periods on the i think on the employment contract side, things like payment in lieu, which if it's not in there, you can't use it. Something should just be in there uh, in a good contract. And you don't know it until somebody tells you that you should have it in there. 
you don't know until something goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. And then you realize. That's right. But yeah, that's a good point. And I, I think you said something true about the expense of legal, especially when you're an early stage startup where you have limited budget and you, uh, you try to manage your resources and sometimes you might want to save on legal, but not saving well, saving on, on legal, especially when it's in things like employment contracts, then it can cost you 10 times more down the road if you need to fix a problem. So I guess that's where Legislate comes in is we, we do try to lower that barrier to entry for quality legals, especially for things like employment contracts when you are in a very early stage. But just like with Zelt, if you start early, even when you don't really have many employees, then later down the line, it will make your life a lot easier as you scale and grow. Yeah. So Chris, I'm conscious I've taken already a lot of your time. So I'm going to ask you the closing question. We ask all our guests, if you were being sent a contract to sign today, what would impress you? Is there any specific contract? You can interpret the question as you wish. Usually I get them sent by DocuSign. So the execution method is always almost always the same these days. You just click a button. And I don't know, almost always they're I know written in a way that I guess you don't want to read them. I think I appreciate contracts that are written legibly for people to read because otherwise I always assume they're there to catch me out. Yeah, I think just well-structured documents that actually maybe highlight. That's actually how I also I, I write our employment contracts. There's a like a cover page at the top that highlights all the important bits like the you know salary and the probationary period and maybe the share options and then plugs them in like almost as variables in the contract that makes it easier for the person to read and understand you know what are the important bits now of course you still have to read the whole thing because maybe the one thing that they don't want you to see is still in there somewhere and it probably is but i appreciate that to give like the executive summary so i know actually what are the important things in here especially when there's a platform in the middle that has a certain level of trust, right? For example, that's why that's why I liked, I did my first funding round with SafeNotes, the kind of very standardized investment documents from Y Combinator, because I know I don't need to understand every clause in there. Of course, I read it, but I know for sure that I can trust uh, this framework because it's, it's written in a way that works well, balances the interest well between founders and investors. And if that level of trust is there, I think that's the real value. And I think that's also the value that is there that you guys can pursue. Because for me, the, the difficulty of getting the template from this employment contract, the contract itself is not a lot of value for me. Like I can get templates from any company, but I just trusted that one guy who sent it to me, I trusted that this would be a good one. And that was the value. You know, it's the trust. The template itself, I mean, it's just a bunch of words. You can just copy and paste from some other documents. But if that person tells me, hey, this is a good one, this one covers you because of A, B, and C, that's the value. Yeah, I think scaling trust is a challenge for any startup, but in particular, yeah, legislate where we do provide templates. And you're right, templates are just words, but they're words that have impact. And and then I think what's also impactful is what you do with those contracts post signature, because yeah, there, there's a lot of potential for that. But anyway, thank you very much, Chris, for being on the show. Best of luck, and hopefully speak again soon. Great. Thank you, everybody. And thanks for having me on the podcast, Charles.